It's here again, this year's gardening season. Whether you're still under a blanket of snow or are already enjoying spring temperatures, it is high time to form or think about forming beds. Dream of homegrown vegetables, order seeds and block a weekend in your calendar to get your hands dirty. What, when, how to do it? Well, you'll hear it today from a master gardener and gardening instructor, The Vegetable Garden, tips for a bountiful season. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. The perfect weekend to get your hands dirty. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it, it's getting close to the earth, which is just such a fun elemental thing to do. And I'll be honest with you, still never done any gardening. I mean, every time we do a gardening show, I'm like, this will be the time. But I just... Maybe this will be the maybe time. Maybe this will be the time. <laughs> I, I, I like it. In, in theory, um, especially this part about getting your hands in the earth and getting dirt underneath your fingernails just seems so very basic, like b like basic to our souls. Um, part of it is I've always lived in cities and that's no excuse whatsoever because plenty of my friends in New York and San Francisco all have very, very vibrant windowsill or fire escape gardens, that kind of thing. Um, and some of them who started it when we've done, you know, gardening for the novice shows in the past. But I always love listening to them. They're very inspiring. I think, I think we're all on different ends of the food spectrum. You are really a, an accomplished chef and you, you like to take the vegetables and do something with them. And many people are gardeners who's, who might say, I've never actually cultivated the art of cooking, hmm. really. And you even went to an institute and got a degree in it. So I, I don't know. We need it all. <laughs> and yet I do hope that this show might encourage someone like you, not you, but <laughs> not like you. Not pointing any fingers here. <laughs> exactly. To, to just look at, you know, a three-foot piece of dirt or even a three-foot space on your balcony to put two little pots out with some herbs or with some, it's just, uh, you know, if we can just see or, or look at open space of whatever ever size in whatever shape or form and realize this could be an area to grow food, if we all did that, and then half of us would actually do it and grow food, we would grow so much food. You can grow food in vertical gardens and in little center gardens and uh, interspersed as an edible landscape and I mean, really in all shapes and sizes you don't need to think about you know 10 foot rows perfectly cultivated that's one form of gardening but you can grow vegetables almost you know false side up in that way uh, or, or horizontally and vertically and any way you want to center wheel so just grow food just grow some herbs just mm. grow something and then i think you might get a, a you know the idea of it and really enjoy it. So that's the idea of, of this show. How do you enter 
I guess, you know, and I, I, I guess I can't say I've never entered. I have tried with herbs. That's always the place I start because it's something I'll use a lot of and yet not so much that if I buy a, you know, a clamshell of rosemary, I go through the whole thing. I cannot seem to keep anything that I plant alive. And maybe I'm just really depressed and discouraged by this effort that I've put in and not feeling like I have any talent well you only need to keep it alive to a certain degree and then you eat it (laughs) but okay we'll get into all that how do you keep things alive the vegetable garden tips for a bountiful season as we are looking at spring temperatures in most of the country if not coming to a town near you very soon spring is here clearly and yes with that the 2016 gardening season so If you don't know how or you are an absolute expert in gardening, the show is for all of us. And we'll hear from an expert, a garden educator, writer, and speaker on how to grow vegetables. That and more when we come back right after the break. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hiller. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitirani Palomar. Whether you're an expert or a novice or never have grown anything really, whether on your windowsill or in your backyard, this is it. The Vegetable Garden, tips for a bountiful season an entire focus on this year's garden and vegetable growing time. It is now to buy seeds. Is it now? We'll find out. And with us now is Megan Kane, garden educator, writer, and speaker, speaker about vegetables. Her company is the Creative Vegetable Gardener. That's creativevegetablegardener.com, the website. She's joining us today from Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, to be exact. Megan, do we have you with us? I am here, and I'm happy to be here to talk about gardening. Happy to have you. (laughs) Welcome to the show. So My favorite topic. Yes. (laughs) That's very perfect then. We are in the oh. in the spring world of April. Temperatures are warming up and really high time at this point to think about what you want to harvest. Um, how? Give us a little bit of background of what attracted you to this world of vegetable gardens and, and what you do. What's your mission? Sure. Well, my mission is to help gardeners get the most from their vegetable gardens. So for me, and I hope for other people, that means the most 
food, the most joy, the most beauty, whatever whatever you want to get out of your garden. Um, and I actually grew up in Philadelphia in a row home in a very urban area. So I didn't I didn't know how to grow food. I didn't know anyone who had a garden. We didn't even have a yard. And I always joke that we actually didn't even really eat many vegetables growing up. So I'm not a, a lifelong gardener. It was something that I came to in my mid-20s. Um, and I worked on a farm, actually. I used to live in California, and then I moved to a farm in Missouri where I was an intern, and I learned how to start to grow food. And it just really shot my life on a totally different direction. And something that was very unexpected, but I really fell in love with with vegetable gardening and vegetable farming. And what do you do now with that? You're you're a garden educator, but that's a broad term. Can you can you right. tell us what you spent most of your time doing? Yeah, so now most of the time I spend is with my own business and my clients that I work with. So some some things I do in Madison, I do garden consultations. I, I will do some designs for people. In the past, I've done installations, but I don't do that any longer. And then I actually have a big online community. So I have a an online gardening club called the Flavorful Life Garden Club. And it's actually for, for pe we have people from all over the world. And each season, we have a different focus. So we have a different online class. And we have different community challenge and we have a private Facebook group. So, so I'm kind of a mix between in-person education and teaching and also online as well. So fun. Well, thanks for making time for us in your busy schedule because this is really the time. I mean, gardening, you do year-round because there's always something to do. But of course, the winter months are maybe spent slightly differently than right now. This is the time to get your hands dirty and to really wrap your mind around what you want to do with any plot of land and we were saying in the intro of the show it doesn't have to be a big backyard or front yard garden it could right. be a centerpiece it could be a vertical horizontal any shape and form and size some some potted plants whatever you can do um, where do you where do you start how how do you look at a, a piece of you know um, space or at your garden with new eyes what where do you what do you recommend as the very first thing to do Yeah, so I, I do, I have taught some design and installation classes so for people who want to create their own garden. I think that is, it, it can be a confusing process for a lot of people. They don't know really where to start. And so one great place to start is with the inspiration and the dreaming part. And I have people that I work with go on to Pinterest, I think is a great place, and just start to look around. And Pinterest is great because you can search for very specific terms. So you could put in vegetable gardens or front yard vegetable garden, or backyard vegetable garden, or container garden, and then start to look at the pictures. If you're a brand new gardener, you can start to pay attention to what what the different options are and what the different designs people have, and really let yourself dream a little bit. I think that's, that's a part of the gardening process, especially when you're designing a garden. And then after that, once you start to start to hone in on what kind of garden you want, you can start to think about the kinds of things that you want to grow. And I often encourage people to think about their lifestyles and grow what you're, go you're going to eat. So I think that sounds like, duh, of course I'm going to grow what I'm going to eat. But I do think, myself included, I've made the mistake and grown things that during the season I thought, oh yeah, I don't really, we don't really eat cauliflower that much, so we probably don't need to grow it next year. Um, and so I, I encourage people to think about their weekly shopping habits at the grocery store. So think about what do you often put in your grocery cart? 
what do you buy on a regular basis? What of those things could you potentially grow in your garden? And then you could also take a look at your common meals. So for for me, I eat a smoothie every morning. And so I have, over time, decided, well, I'm going to try to grow as many of my smoothie ingredients as possible because sometimes they can be expensive, sometimes they're out of season where I live. So I put a lot of things in my freezer that I can use for my smoothies all year round. And so kind of taking a look at the the meals that you and your family eat on a regular basis and deconstruct some of those meals and see, are there, are there some of those ingredients that you could potentially grow in your garden this year? I like that's, to call that strategic, strategic thinking. That's, a, that's such a great advice. And I, um, I must say I've gardened many seasons myself and I never actually ask myself what does my regular normal week look like I, I i went for seeds that i knew would be successful and that looked really fun in a seed catalog i didn't really translate that of course it's food but uh, yeah that, interesting that is yeah. really key i have never thought about that either and megan i was saying at the beginning of the show we've done a handful of gardening episodes over the years and i've never gardened never and every time we do yeah. one of these shows i'm like is this going to be the episode that gets me to put my hands in the dirt for the first time but that is actually quite exciting if i think about what i consume every week arugula i love arugula salads and i do it with radicchio mm-hmm. and endive and if i were growing just those three things that would be such a delight because i could eat my favorite salad multiple times a week yeah people think tomatoes yeah. right as the classic thing and nothing against tomatoes right. they're amazing but if you don't eat a lot of them exactly and if you do smoothies in the morning or something that you really always i i go through kale like it's nobody's business and that's a fairly mm-hmm. easy thing to grow huh. but i actually never grown that one ever well <laughs> you've never thought about it until the way meg it's strategic yes. Gardening. You're listening I to like an organic right. conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Yeah. We're speaking with Megan Kane, garden educator, writer, and speaker, all about vegetables. The creativevegetablegardener.com, her website, creativevegetablegardener.com, uh, with the mission of inspiring people to get the most out of their vegetable garden. So when you have deconstructed your dinner, basically, deconstructed your menu plan and and your week, and you know what you're going to grow or what you would like to grow, how do you translate that into the soil, into the land? Yeah, so then some of the next steps would be to figure out what what do you direct seed and what do you transplant. So things that you direct seed, you're going to go to the nursery or order seeds online, you're going to get the packet, and you're going to plant those seeds directly into the ground, and that's called direct seeding when it's time, when it's the, the right date or the right the right time in your garden. And then there's a whole other category of things that are transplanted, which are vegetables that you're going to plant with a plant. So, for example, I live in Wisconsin and we have a pretty short season. So there's some things right now that I'm starting in my house. I have broccoli seedlings and kale seedlings and some onions right now. And I'll continue as it gets closer to the gardening season in my area. I'll start more seeds. So those vegetables I'm going to actually have the plant and I'll plant the plant in the ground so it's direct seed or transplant so that's kind of a next step once you figure out what you want to grow then you'll know okay I need to buy these seeds and then either I'm going to start my own seeds which I don't really recommend for a first year gardener I think it's a little bit more intermediate advanced gardening so you can actually go to your local farmer's market and find lots of great varieties and great seedlings. So you'll kind of have your shopping list for seeds and then your shopping list for what plants that you want to buy locally. 
Great. And you get a head start with those. Those are usually from germination to the plant size that you can actually plant into the soil then. It's usually between, you know, two weeks or three weeks, I would think. Uh, so you, you basically have already uh, sorted out the strongest plants, whether you buy them or you grow them yourself. When you put them in the soil, you know the size, you know the spacing, you know the health of them. And, right. and they go from there. You basically kick the season off three weeks earlier, in a sense, right? Yeah, and I do recommend for new gardeners to try to start with seedlings as much as possible because when you direct seed, and there are things that are better direct seeded, like carrots, you just direct seed them. You don't usually buy plants. But for those things that you can buy transplants for, I do recommend it because when you plant seeds, they need a lot of attention at first. So you have to make sure they're getting enough water and that they're warm enough so that they germinate. Whereas when you put in a plant, it still needs care, but it's a little bit hardier than a seed at that point because it's already germinated. It's already started growing and you know that it's, it's already, it's already there. So, so I do recommend if you can start with transplants, I think that's a great a great way to start for for a new gardener. And do the seed packages tell you how many seeds you need for how many square feet or how many vegetables in pounds? Like, what's the conversion there? Yeah, usually it is a good idea to check on the seed packet before you plant in your garden. I still do that, even though I'm an experienced gardener, just to remind myself. And usually it'll say a certain amount of seeds per inch or a certain amount of seeds per square foot. So you just you can read on the back, and it'll say how close you you can base the the rows. I think the hard part is that there is very different information on different seed packets of the same. Like you might find a carrot packet from different mm-hmm. companies might have slightly different information, um, and so I think some of that comes with experience and experimentation. Sometimes I read on the back of a seed pack and I say, "No, nah, I think I'm going to plant them. I know that I can plant them a little bit closer than it says sure. on the seed packet." But but I think for a beginning gardener, sure, read the back of the seed packet and and follow what they say, and then you can tweak it over time to maybe put things closer, a little bit further apart based on your experience in your garden. What's your What's your recommendation for how to plan that out? Like, I made the mistake once that I planted all my lettuces in basically two hours on one day. And of course, they all came in two weeks later, three weeks later, at the same time. Yeah. And I, I, you know, needed to find neighbors to take my salad because right. it was just too much. And three weeks later, I was out of salad. So yeah. uh, how do you how do you plant um, successively so that, that you know, or in succession, so that you know, you know, you have the, the widest span of time? How, how would you know when they come in and in what frequency you should plant? Every week or right. what's, the, what's the idea? Yeah, so I think that's very common. It happens to a lot of us where you plant too much and then you get too much and have to give it away or figure out what to do with it. Um, One, and I would say that succession planting, again, is is kind of intermediate advanced gardening. So don't be too hard on yourself if you're still trying to figure it out. It takes some time. But I would, one thing to think about is when you're you're thinking, maybe I'll plant this entire, entire packet of beets, Remind yourself, okay, there's 100 beets in this packet. Do I want to eat 100 beets all at once? No, (laughs) probably not. Unless you really, really love beets. Or if you're canning or or fermenting or something like that. Or at a party, you're going to have a beet party, a summer beet party. Then one thing you could do, which is really easy that I do in my garden, instead of planting that whole row or a whole bed of beets, I'll plant maybe a third. In, in, of the beets that I was originally going to plant. And then I'll come back two or three weeks later 
and then I'll plant another third, and then I'll come back three weeks after that and plant another third, so that I have so that my bees are maturing at different rates. They're going to take about 65 days, 60 days, depending on what variety you grow, and so you'll have more of a staggered succession, a staggered harvest. And you can always harvest that. them smaller and larger and leave them in exactly. for a little longer, even beyond, you know, they are basically right. done, but they still can stay in the soil for another week. Um, exactly. And and I think as you garden, you, you start to learn some things you have a little bit more play with. You can leave them in the garden for a little while after they're done, but then there's other things, say, like tomatoes, when they're ripe, they're ripe, and if you don't get them, if you don't start harvesting them, they're going to yeah. start to fall on the ground. But something like a carrot or a beet, Sometimes I just let them hang out in my garden a little bit before I harvest them. So T- turn so the beat around. Learn, you kind of. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're speaking with Megan Kane, who is joining us today from Madison, Wisconsin, creativevegetablegardener.com, her site. She is a garden educator and a writer and a speaker and a garden consultant, hoping for people to get the most out of their yard. I know Sita is burning to ask you about the right time to plant and other things, but we're going to take a quick break and stay with us. We'll be right back with more. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned for more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our focus in this hour is this year's growing season, the vegetable garden, tips for a bountiful season. And we are speaking with Megan Kane, garden educator, writer, and speaker on vegetables and gardening, who's joining us today from Madison, Wisconsin. So, Megan, before we went to break, we were talking about timing. You were talking about how to space your seeds so that you don't have everything maturing at the same time. But before we even get there, let's start with timing in terms of when is the right time to put seeds in the ground? Does it vary by vegetable or how do you know if it's the right time to begin planting? Yeah, that's a great question. And it it very much depends on where you live. So you all live in California. I live in Wisconsin, two very, very different climates. <laughs> um, and so for me, the timing is going to be much different than you. I, we still have snow right now, so we're not doing a lot of planting quite yet. Um, so you'll... So one thing to, to realize is if you live in a colder area like I do, you'll and, and you live somewhere that has a frost, and so if you're new to gardening, every year there's your average last frost, which happens in the spring. So those are the average 
time when it's the last time that it's below 32 degrees Fahrenheit in the U.S. And then your average first frost, which is in the in the fall, and that's the, around the first time that it's going to be at uh, 32 degrees Fahrenheit again at at night. Usually is what it means. So so in Wisconsin, I we pay a lot of attention to our last frost. So our average last frost is usually around Mother's Day, which is May 10th. So I live kind of in a shorter season area. And so that that date around May 10th, May 15th, is kind of the dividing line between cold weather crops and warm weather crops. And so there's things in the garden that cannot go through a frost or they'll die. So an easy way to think about that is a lot of the the vegetables that you think about in the summer, so peppers and tomatoes and watermelon, basil, some of those really big summer crops, they if, if the temperature gets below 32 at night, it's very likely that those plants would die. And so in Wisconsin, we don't plant any of those things until after our, la- our average last frost. But there's lots and lots of vegetables that really don't mind the cool weather the cold weather and actually most of them thrive in the cool weather. So a lot of your lettuces, spinach, carrots and beets, onions and garlic and leeks and broccoli, kale, cabbage, there's lots and lots of things that really like the cool weather. And so those are the things that you can plant before your average last frost. So that's what you're um, planting right now. I mean, we're looking at April and May. If you're if you're expecting that your last frost date is going to be at the end of May, what you're doing right now are these cold weather crops. That's correct. Mm-hmm. But if you live in a warmer area, if you live in Texas or somewhere else or down south further than I do, you might be already into your summer crops. So it's so much of it depends on where you live. Now, getting started, I'm curious if there are some tips of like absolutely must do this, absolutely must not do that. And if it's just in general, these are do's and don'ts for gardening or if there are different do's and don'ts for spring gardening? Well, I, let's see. So a general do for gardening, I would say is do start small. And so I've worked with thousands of gardeners over the years, and sometimes I'll go to somebody's house and they'll say, I want to turn this entire 2,000-square-foot part of my backyard into my garden, and they've never gardened before. And so I really, usually I refuse to do that because I think you're potentially setting yourself up for failure. So I really encourage people to start small so that you're successful, so that it's fun and then when it's fun and successful you're going to continue to garden so i would say that's a big do or don't really however you consider it (laughs) for me is really start small don't create a garden that's too big it's okay to start with one raised bed or two raised beds you can always add on as you start to master gardening gardening and the years come on keep coming on and you get totally addicted to gardening then you can fill up your entire backyard as for spring, I would really encourage people that live in colder areas like I do to get out there early. Don't wait. I think in where I live and in similar climates, a lot of people wait until that first, that, that last frost and don't plant before that. They don't plant a lot of those cold weather crops. They think, oh, it's kind of chilly out. Maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't plant. But I usually get out into my garden about a month before my last frost, so usually around April 15th. I'm out there planting carrots and beets and spinach and all those things. Because you, you, you really miss out on a whole 
spring season by skipping over a lot of those cold weather crops and just waiting to plant your tomatoes and peppers. But is your um, is your ground it, frozen at that point? No, not not usually here in Madison. Mm. And it, oh, well, that's and good. And I'm actually experimenting with cheating this season. Um, I created a a very small greenhouse hoop over my one of my raised beds, and last year I planted on March 9th. So that was a full, about five weeks before I've ever planted in my garden before. I planted under cover, and I had this whole salad garden by the second week in April. Oh, you're kidding. usually when I'm starting really? to plant in my garden. I was already harvesting salad. So I was really excited about that last year. Uh, and so this year I'm going to for sure do it again. And actually, we do have snow right now, but we it's been pretty warm comparatively for Madison. So I planted last week. I just planted some spinach and some arugula and some radishes and turnips just to see what 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 would happen. Are they going to germinate a little bit earlier than they did last year? It's just an experiment. That's part of gardening is just experimenting from year to year. Yeah, if they don't germinate, you can always replant three two weeks later, right? Three weeks later. If you see that nothing is coming up, then maybe it was too cold. You know you had three really hard nights. Okay, you know why they're not germinating, so you replant. That's totally fine and normal, right? Right, and actually in the late winter, early spring, as long as you're not overwatering them so they're not rotting, they will come up when it gets warm enough. So they, my seeds may just sit there for three weeks, and then they're going to germinate when the soil is warm enough. Oh, gotcha. As long as you don't overwater them and, and, get, and make them rot, but they can kind of hang out. and just, just wait until the conditions are right. Yeah. I've, I've heard of people actually sowing seeds in the fall and then, re and then thinking, well, in the spring they'll just come up when they're ready. Well, it's like a dance with nature. You don't know exactly what she has in store, but you're gonna, you know, offer gifts and seeds and and see what what happens with that. And that, of course, brings me to soil. How do you start if you don't know exactly what what your soil composition is, what may be needed in terms of soil nutrients, or if there are things you don't want in the soil, if it's a new plot. We had a few inquiries from um, listeners of an organic conversation that said, I just bought a new place, a new house, and I don't know if there was anything ever applied in the garden that might be toxic. I want to do it organically. You know, do you, do you always recommend testing one soil? How do you do that? question and it's a question that I get a lot and it's a big it's a big topic soil health I think a lot of us know that you need healthy soil in order to have a healthy garden and I actually and I've always known that but I didn't really understand it until I moved into a house that didn't have very healthy soil and I saw it saw it firsthand what a struggle my garden was um, I would say if you live in an urban area um, and you think that your house potentially had lead paint on it at some point Uh, I would definitely get your your soil tested for lead at the bare minimum. So my brother lives in D.C. and he wanted to have a garden. I said, well, you better get your, your soil tested for lead first. And he did, and it came back really high, and so he actually decided not to have a garden. There are some things that you can do if you really do want to have a garden, but he decided not to. So that would be a big thing if you live in an older house. Um, if you live in anywhere where there, I had another client where they bought a yard that used to be an auto repair shop. So anything like that, if you have any kind of history, history. on your property mm -hmm. that yep. that has any any kind of toxic history, you definitely want to get 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 tested for heavy metals. 
Um, the other thing, I, you know, I think if you if you look at your yard and your plants and your grass look healthy, then you can assume that you probably have pretty good soil. But again, it is a big topic. Um, one way to find out is to start gardening and to see how your garden does. That's what I did when I bought a house, and then I realized, oh, I don't think my soil is that great. And then I did send away for a, for a soil test. If you want to send away for a soil test first, if you live in the U.S., a lot of the your local cooperative extension office. So in Madison, I would Google University of Wisconsin cooperative extension. So they're usually attached to the big state universities. They often have a soil testing lab and you can send away a test and they'll just give you a report on what the major nutrients are and if you're lacking anything. And on the on the toxicity as well? Like they find the... You, you, yeah, you can add on a lead test. You can add on, add on a heavy metal test if you have some concerns gotcha. around that. Great. And those are not that expensive, right? What what do they range roughly because it's no, UC cooperative extension? Yeah, the one in Madison, I think, is $25 for just a regular soil test. And then if you add on lead, it might be another $20, $15 or $20. Yeah. yeah. So for $100, roundabout, some more, some less. But you, you have a really good picture of what the quality of your soil is like before you plant any edibles in there that you might not feel certain about. Um, that's maybe right. a, a good test, a good way to start. Yeah. So before we move away from do's and don'ts, there's one other thing that I'm curious about, and you alluded to it a little bit when you said don't overwater and kind of cause your seeds to mold or rot. How do you know how much water to use? So in general, most plants need about a, an inch of water a week. Now, that if you have really sandy soil, you might need more water. I have pretty clay soil, so my soil holds water really well. So about an inch of water, this is for vegetables and also for perennials and annuals as well. I have a perennial flower garden, um, which actually probably gets less water than that. Um, We all live in very different climates. I know that in California, you don't get a lot of rain. In Madison, we do get a fair amount of rain. So for me, a lot of times, I'm getting one inch of water per week through the spring, especially in the spring, through rain. Hmm. And so I don't really have to water my garden that often. Now, the exception to that is if you have planted seeds that need to germinate, you want to keep them, they need to be moist in order to germinate. And so you want to water them every one or two days until they germinate. And then I put my seeds on about an inch of water a week. In my garden, I have a rain gauge. So what I realized over time is I have I had no concept of how much it was raining. It would rain all night long, and then I'd get up in the morning and check check the website, and it would say a tenth of an inch. And I thought, really? Only a tenth of an mm. inch? It rained all night long. How could that be? So now, from a lot of the seed companies, a lot of local nurseries, garden stores, you can get a little rain gauge. And it's become something that's really fun in our household. One, if it rains at night or even during the day after the rainstorm, we'll run outside to the garden and check the rain gauge and see how much rain did we get. And if we get three quarters of an inch or an inch, I usually think, okay, I'm, I'm off the hook for watering for the week. <laughs> Um, now, this def- definitely depends on where you live. If you live in a place like Texas where it's really hot in the summer, you might have to water a little bit more. If you live in a desert area where it's really dry, you might have to live water more. But if you live somewhere like me that has four seasons and you get some rain, don't overwater your garden. I, I meet a lot of people 
who, when they describe some of the problems that they are having in their garden, one of the first questions I ask is, how much do you water? And if people are saying, I water every day, that's definitely too much. Yeah, they, we, they don't sell those anymore in California because there was no customer after seven right. years of drought. But no, that's a bit of joke. We are right. back in the in the rain, actually. It's nice. And um, yes, this was a decent year. We need way more rain. But a rain gauge, it's really inexpensive. And you're right. When it says in the newspaper a tenth, you'd have no idea where it was measured. And um, a night of rain is for sure half an inch or more. So that's just a, a really good on-site checkpoint for you as a gardener. We're speaking with Megan Kane in this hour of the vegetable garden, tips for a bountiful season, an entire hour dedicated to for you to get the most out of your garden this year. Whatever garden means to you could just be a few planter boxes or pots or even just your windowsill, as Sita said. Are we pretty complete with do's and don'ts? Is there anything else where you say as a as a beginner gardener, just you know, don't do it or do it? One is do have fun. Make mm -hmm. sure you have fun because I think that's part of the gardening process and that's what will keep you doing it long term if you get a lot of joy and satisfaction and fun out of it. So especially if you're someone who's just learning, go easy on yourself. Gardening is a process. There's a lot of details and there's a lot of things to learn. And so just try to rejoice when you pick something out of your garden and you serve it for dinner that night and really try to celebrate your small successes so that you, you're really enjoying it, so that you continue. So I really try to set people up to be lifelong gardeners. And so if you, if you have that desire, then know that it's going to take time and have some patience and know that learning is a process. <laughs> cool. Um, so just to, to yeah. round it out, we're almost out of time, but what are you most looking forward yourself to growing this year? Uh, I mean, really looking at a garden, we talked about lettuces, they're always easy and, and fairly fairly hardy in that sense, even though they seem fragile, but they grow fairly well. And But you know, peas come to mind uh, for me and, uh, of course, Maya lemon trees. And I mean, there's, there's so many things now that I look at it from a culinary or kitchen perspective yeah. of really how can, how can the garden support me and my eating habits, not what could be fun to grow, but Uh, you know, what What can would I really use and love to use and would help me even financially to not run to the store when I'm out because I can just use my scissors and or get another lemon or two. I love citrus. What are you looking most forward to this year? Yeah, that's a hard question. It's like asking an artist what their favorite <laughs> color is. I love growing everything, but one of my favorite things to grow is spinach because I love eating salads so I put sometimes I put spinach in my smoothies and it's one of the things that grows that actually can survive the winter in Wisconsin one mm. of the only vegetables um, we grow a lot of onions and garlic so I usually grow between three and five hundred onions <gasps> in my garden we store them in our basement all winter so we're still eating last year's onions so that's really fun and garlic we usually grow about 220 garlic I have an spiral so it's really fun when I'm cooking to just dip out to my front yard and cut some herbs, which I think is a great way, a great thing to start with new gardeners because herbs can be really expensive at the grocery store so don't last that long in your refrigerator. Um, but I'm definitely a proponent of growing things just for the fun of it as well. I grow, I like to try lots of different varieties 
sometimes when I look in the seed catalog, I get drawn in by something that looks like it's a really cool color or a really cool shape. And so I would definitely, I think there is a place for sure about for thinking strategically about your garden, but I also think you have, it's really fun to grow some unique and colorful varieties that kind of heighten the, the surprise and, and that joy that you can get out of your garden. Cool. Sita, are you inspired? I am inspired. I'm, I'm right now a little bit amazed at the quantity of garlic and onion that you grow. I don't know. That's like that's like a head of garlic a day for an entire year. I know. Well, we give a lot away. Sure. And, and I will say when we when we get a recipe and it says only one clove, we always say one clove. How about one bowl? <laughs> Um, and I, I, I did just want to, before we end, I do have a free resource on my website. If people are still wondering what they should be doing to plan their garden, I have a free 10-step guide. It's over on my website, creativevegetablegardener.com forward slash planning. That'll walk you through two, 10 steps that you can do to plan for a smart spring garden this year. Amazing. Yes. Well, Hopefully this is the season. Fun. Yes, very <laughs> fun. And you you raised a good point at the end. If you love growing something and you don't eat it all, you can absolutely trade with your neighbor. Absol I mean, you know, they they might be growing something that you don't have or have some apple trees or it's just a fun monetary substitute item. That's what we used to do. We bartered and vegetables are such a fun thing either as gifts or to get something else from, you know, from your neighbor that you don't grow. Yeah, that's great. My neighbor actually has a, a little free farm stand, a playoff of little free library where she puts out lots of stuff from her garden and you can walk by on your evening walk and pick some things out of her farm stand. Oh, that's sweet. And it's free? I love that. that. Yeah, it's free. She has, a, she has a little donation thing there, but... Lovely. Thank you so much for joining us today. It That's was so good Megan Kane, garden educator, writer, and speaker. Again, her website, creativevegetablegardener.com. And this hour of an organic conversation, The Vegetable Garden, tips for a bountiful season. Megan was joining us from Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks for spending time with us today, Megan. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Have a great season. <laughs> yes. Bye, Megan. Good luck. Take care. Bye. Bye. Staying on the topic of vegetables, in this case, from the hobby garden, from the really wonderful, dedicated, personal garden to the dedicated organic farm. Here's the update from the produce doc, from the person who looks at it every morning at four o'clock, maybe earlier. Maybe earlier. That's Earl Herrick. Here's what's in season. And yes, Earl Herrick is with us in the studio, not from the produce dock, not on the phone, but actually here. These and are the best days. These it's are the best days, days because usually you bring produce and you already did bring produce. An we don't want to, we don't even need to ask what is coming on. Is this is what's coming on? Is it berry season? It is. Wow. It's, it's, and, and the weather has been kind to allow this. Yeah. Uh, that means we've gotten some nice mild weather and we've had some dry weather and we've also had some wet, but enough dry weather to get this production going. So Earl brought a flat of Rancho Don Antonio, Rancho Don Antonio, organic blackberries into the studio. And I and must say, I don't know when these were harvested, but they look like they were harvested about an hour ago. <laughs> well, probably, I'm, I'm quite sure yesterday or the day before. Wow. 
And yeah, you always get one that is, you know, a little bit ditched. These are perfect. These are like photo perfect. shoot blackberries. They're gigantic. They're in, they're in perfect shape. None of them are wet or decomposing. And what is the most remarkable thing about yeah, the it flavors. is that this is March, April. I mean, we're talking blackberries. Is, that's like an August, September item. Well, that's, to get them yeah. this good, to this sweet already, it's a good season. Uh, it is. Yeah, and, and the thing about blackberries is that it is difficult to get them f- flavorful because they need to be riper and they don't mm-hmm. travel well. So to be able to find that balance of ripe enough to ship, but not so too ripe for them to be damaged in a day or two. That's of all the berries, that's one of the more most difficult ones. And this, this gentleman does it. His name is Antonio Sanchez. He's out of Nipomo, California, which is down route uh, 101, just north of uh, Santa Maria, Santa Barbara area. Where, where would you get these? All throughout California or even in other states? Or no, we, no. We have this listeners is, all over the place. No, he, no. this gentleman is not that big. He's, he's, uh-huh. he's keeping it pretty local. So you're talking about central northern California, probably to L.A., to San Francisco. Uh-huh. We were able to have a unique relationship with him right now. It's still developing. We've only been doing business with him about a year. But this is a gentleman that used to grow for a larger, very well-known packer shipper. And he went out on his own. And you can imagine uh, what that brings up for anybody that does that. And there's a number of growers that I'm doing business with now that are and and the challenges that exist. One is that you're kind of leaving home, if you will. Sure. And an existing infrastructure, just like with dairies, you know, when they yep. always just sell their milk to one big yogurt company and then all of a sudden decide, no, we want to have our own brand and our own label. That's and, a huge change. And that is the challenge, developing your label. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, that, and how do you get it out there? And generally you do it, one, by selling it a little cheaper. So you're, you, you entice buyers. For us, it was just getting to know us. What, what we do is when we find growers that we can align with, meaning quality and relationship. We support them, right? We support them, and we give them the highest return we can. Sure. So we've blown this guy's mind already. Mm-hmm. And and of, and that's just a good business practice. It, 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 you know, it's a smart business. If I can get more money for him, I got to return it to him. Yeah. And it keeps him in business so we can keep having this great product. So let's Precisely. talk about this because yeah. really I'm I'm blown away. Even in August, I don't get one blackberries this big or this sweet. These are yep. these are exceptional. What what are these yeah. gonna go for for retail? Because yeah. blackberries are notoriously an expensive berry. Yes, they are. And so I'll backtrack just for a moment. How we get them this time of year is they're growing under hoop houses. Okay. So it, you, you're well, protected. Yeah, they're protected. They're like portable miniature uh, uh, hot houses, uh-huh. and, it, and it protects them from the weather. And it also collects the heat, uh-huh. and it, it comes on early. It's a fairly standard practice nowadays. But these are going to go for about four ninety nine. Great. And that's because- out of season. What I find fascinating about the story is the the trend that he's offsetting. Usually in any industry, you grow bigger, 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 right? Yeah. You need mm-hmm. bigger partners. You need, it's all about big. In this case, this grower said, no, I'm going to stop that trend and mm-hmm. I'm not going to just sell. I'm going to do actually the more boutique route. So price, of course, for you, Sita, is critical as a from a consumer well, flavor angle is cr- flavor, is flavor is number is one phenomenal. and then price is that's number right. two yep. but really as an industry trend that you help mm-hmm. setting every you know with every partner that you have help set is that now we know the name of the farm you know you actually yes. put a phase back into the food system Yep, that's I, th- I find that so amazing. And it's you can go stunning. to our website and have get more information about about a his story, situation. Like a real story now. It's a real story, real person, a real challenges, and 
we're allowing him by giving him a fair return to be able to invest. He's now gonna. He's now investigating how to do raspberries. And raspberries is is very difficult. It's a tight, very very tough market. But he's developing. That's his next uh, item. So it, it's it's a great story, very encouraging for us, and it's a great relationship. And that's just one of. There's another one where we're of course our blueberry growers, Forbidden Fruit and Whitney Ranch. Mm-hmm. Their production is just now starting. That's a little early because we've had this you know again this warmer spring so so in regard to to berry season um just to to wrap this up it's a good year yes. berries are at a fair price there's yeah. good supply absolutely all those things berries is the the major obstacle is, is weather and you never know when the rain is going to come uh-huh. i know we've just had some prior to that we went a period of time without it so you know, with El Nino, is it coming or isn't it? The high that high pressure out on the coast keeps it away. So the the drought is a short term win because you, your your season gets extended a bit. You get really high quality, but of course it's a long term disaster because we need to fulfill the aquifer. Sure. aquifer. So. You know, yeah. we'd rather we'd rather have that rain. I mean, all the growers now say, "Yeah, it's great. I got a crop, but I'd rather have it rain mm. and me lose this right now because I got to bank it for the future." Sure. Mm. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. But so blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, and, those are and, all and of course strawberries. strawberries. Yeah, and everything is coming up north. So from Mexico to Orange County to Oxnard up to Watsonville, and when when there's that overlap, production increases, prices go, prices down. go down. Great for the consumer. Yeah. You always say. As a last question, you know, try your produce. Have the produce guy cut cut a piece, let it taste you. Always. Would you do that with berries too? Would you actually open a little yeah. plastic clamshell? Yeah. Clam well, and many many of the one? better res- many of the better retailers have them open already. So what you could do is just say, "Well, I'm thinking of buying these, but blueberries or whatever berry it is, I'm tricky. just not sure. Could I try one?" invariably they will do that they'll open it up and then bingo they'll start selling them because that's the beauty it reinforces itself sure. you open one up you buy it oh yeah everybody walks by bingo yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. well often, you're gonna buy these because the flavor exactly, is exactly often, outstanding that's right often they are sour and you wouldn't and that's then right. you spend five bucks yeah. these uh, I would buy two right now I mean they're, <laughs> you know they're delicious they're amazing <laughs> I know Instead it's true a chocolate bar or whatever like, this is just wow and it's March it's I know unheard I of. can't believe it yeah we're very lucky very fortunate and enjoy them while they're here Rancho Don Antonio great so again check it out earlsorganic.com all these farm stories and produce stories and there's a whole yep there's a whole world behind it that you get when you buy that (laughs) that's right and you can enjoy all that (laughs) thanks for coming in thanks for bringing Uh, out the blackberries next week yes bring more (laughs) produce okay Well, it is springtime, isn't it? Things are coming <laughs> up. You know, it's I just I like the way the energy oh, shifts throughout the year. Fall tends to be I, I've always said my whole life that fall is my favorite season, but I don't know that I want to choose favorites anymore. Everything has a place, and this time of year is about growing new things. It's about yeah, our garden instructor Megan said, uh, "What what's what's your favorite vegetable?" And she said, "Well, that's like asking a, a painter, painter what's your favorite, favorite color." color. And God, it's like so asking the year what's the favorite season. season. I mean, we all have you mm-hmm. know our our favorites, I'm sure. But honestly, only only in the memory of fall, looking at, at it from the outside, do I feel like fall is. I would say too is one of my absolute favorites. But one of my absolute favorites. I know, that's isn't ridiculous. That funny question. <laughs> I mean, I think it's perfectly fair to say I look forward to fall. Yeah, and I look forward to spring right now. Well, you, know? you don't have to look <laughs> much summer. further forward. No, no, because I'm, we're I am there. looking at happily at spring yes. and 
baseball season and barbecue and dogs in the park and like every every day every week every day every hour has so much joy throughout the year i don't know it's like yeah. every season should be loved for for just what it is every mm -hmm. day should be loved yeah. they're <laughs> what all a great unique. way to end yes great way to end yes well thank you for joining us this is an organic conversation i'm helga and Hubbard. i'm sitarani palomar we'll be back next week see you then bye An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate Producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation thank you for your contribution an organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters earl's organic produce a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store home or business since 1988 the website is earlsorganic.com and also fry vineyards america's first certified organic winery producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.